the Sunday Sermons Podcast. A couple weeks ago, we started this new series uh, called Holy Places, and we started with a metaphor about how God's moral boundaries actually work. Uh, so a bunch of you were here. Uh, it was a guardrail. And just really quick, let me, let me refresh that just in case. And if you didn't hear that, a lot of times we tend to think of God's rules or any rules more like fences or walls, that the only point is to keep us inside of something that we don't want to be in or away from something that's outside that we wish we could go to. Does that feel like that sometimes to you guys? But God's guardrails primarily are just trying to keep us on track. They're there to keep us safe. They actually do keep us safe from things. And and he doesn't want us going all the other places. But the main reason any of the things he tells us to do or not do is there is because he's trying to get us somewhere good. Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life, life to the full. And that's God's dream. So that's where we started and that's where we're still going. The next three weeks, we're going to dig into some very specific ones. But some of you that have been here the whole time, you might be wondering, so what is blood and water in the tabernacle? What what about all this? And just very briefly, I'll tell you. It's because without the things that blood and water and what we're talking about today, the very presence of God, without those things and without what they represent, we cannot stay within God's moral boundaries. We cannot get where he wants us to go without those three things. We cannot do it on our own. And so for us to really get there in a profound way, we have to start exactly where he tells us we have to start. Does that make sense? And that's, that's why we've spent so much time in this. In 1 John, the apostle John writes this. This is he who came by the water and blood. Jesus Christ. If you hadn't already noticed, the whole thing depends on Jesus. And here he ties these three big images together. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. Or or another way, in the original language, it says something more like these three are one. They're the same thing. They're they're tied in. They're all part of the same plan that God has. And on the other side of the blood and the water and the spirit, the very presence of God, we can actually get where he wants us to go and become what he wants us to become. I love this idea of the spirit. We don't really have... That same sense in the English word spirit or any of the other words we sometimes translate from that. But there's really just two big words. One in the Old Testament, Hebrew, ruach. And one in the New Testament, it's a Greek word, pneuma. And both of these have the same wide, deep kind of meaning to them. Uh, They can mean wind. They can mean energy. They can mean breath. They can bring life, soul, spirit. Uh, energy. Most of all, they mean presence. If there is breath, there's life. If there is presence, something can happen. Those of us who've ever lost someone we love, we know very profoundly the difference between a person being there in their body and them not being there anymore. The body's still there, but there's no life. There's no breath. There's no soul. There's no spirit. Whatever you call that, the painful thing that we're grieving, 
the thing that we're celebrating gets to go be with Jesus is that. And that very presence of God himself is what can be in us when we approach him his way. We're going to go a little faster now. Is this tracking? I just wanted to make sure I I, I don't want to lose anybody. We've been building a foundation. And today we're going to go deep into the, the, the next and start to turn a corner. I just want to make sure we're together. So one more time, here's how the tabernacle represented that. As you approached God, you had to first come to the altar, which was all about blood. There was sacrifices going on all day long. And then only the priests were allowed to go any further and to approach the temple, even though they'd been offering those sacrifices the whole time, they had to dip their hands in water. And this, this dipping in water was so rich in symbolism as well. But then everything else, the whole rest of that inner spot, the holy place, the most holy place, that was all about the presence of God. Everything in there represented that he hears our prayers, that he provides for us, that we can have fellowship with him. Everything in there is about how he illuminates life if we let him. There's so much rich symbolism in there, but it's all about the spirit. It's all about his presence, his energy. It's actually God there. And this was the center of their camp. It was the center of their life whenever they actually followed God. And when that becomes the center of our life, we experience what they could only dream. So here's the first thing that God's presence does this morning. If you would, I'd like you to say this out loud. And if you're writing things down, this is the first thing you'll write down is the word reminds. And to make it easy for you this morning, I'm going to tell you as we go, but anybody who likes to take notes, there's not as many this morning. And they all start with re. Reminds, restores, and refines are the big ones. I'll just throw that out right here at the beginning. But the first thing is this. God's presence reminds us. And it reminds us of some very powerful things. One of which is this. He is God and we're not. Isn't it crazy how easy it is to forget that sometime? I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't just walk out and speak things into existence. I can't heal the people that I want to heal. I can't fix the things I want to fix in a miraculous way. Only God can do certain things. And yet, for some reasons, uh, me, like everybody else, we tend, to, we tend to go, yeah, but I think I know better than he does in this situation. I don't think this is actually really all that wrong. I actually think the best idea might be to do it this way, right? But somehow or another, God's presence reminds us of that. We see this in the Bible. We see like Isaiah, for example, coming before God. And, and he sees God in this vision. And he goes, man, I, I can't be here. I'm a person of unclean lips. I, I don't deserve to be in your presence. And the, the closer we get to God, the more, that, more we are reminded that he is God and we are not And that his plans never fit into buildings or concepts or ideas that we can fully grasp. Even the things that he shows us, the tabernacle, the cross, and uh, baptism, and all the really cool symbols, we, we never fully get it on the level that he does, right? We think we do, but he's bigger than all of that. And no matter where we go in the world, we can't get away in one way or another from his presence. In one way or another, he's there. That's what David is talking about in Psalm 139. When he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? And just so you know, the word we translate spirit there is ruach. And the other one, it's another word that actually, in 
the most literal translation would be before. But what it, what it means is, I am literally in front of you every single time, no matter where I am. It's kind of like if you have to go before a judge in a courtroom, that kind of a sense. I, no matter where I go, you're in authority, and I'm sitting here hoping you'll be kind. He says that no matter where I go in the world, those two things are true. It's a humble thing. Here's what, here's what I've noticed about how we think about almost anything. Theology, our ideas about God himself, our ideas about sin, our ideas about righteousness. We love to pack things up. These things are like cheap and everywhere and we put everything in these little containers, right? And we always want to go, oh my goodness, I get it now. Here's what holiness is. You ever want to know? Here's what sin is. Here's who God is. Here's how the Trinity works. Are you with me? It doesn't fit. If anything, it's more like this, which this is way too small to even be a good symbol. But there's no way to put a lid on it. There's nothing. You try to get God in there and he just boils right out. No matter how full you get and the more you spend your whole life understanding what the depths of the stuff in the Bible is all about, it just, you never quite totally grasp it. It's just bigger than we can imagine. But we yell these things at each other all the time, don't we? We judge each other if we don't understand it the same exact way. I think that's so sad. Dr. Erwin McManus wrote a poem. Uh, he, he mostly just writes books and speaks, but he actually has a poem. Here's a segment from the middle that I absolutely love. He says, I want to stand where the echoes stop, where meaning is rescued from noise, where conviction replaces thoughtless repetition, where what everyone is saying surrenders to what needs to be said. I want to stand where the echoes stop, where the shouting of the masses falls silent to the whisper of the one, where the voice of the majority submits to the voice of reason. I don't think there's ever any of these study guides that come with the sermons. Somewhere on there, it doesn't say, Lord, I will, or at least some sort of a space where you can respond somehow because that's always the dream. Not that we just think better, but that we act differently. We respond in a tangible way to God. There's three of those this morning. And I'd like you to take just a moment before we go any further and, and, and figure out one thing that you personally, each one of you personally will, could do that would help you be in the presence of God in a way that it will remind you who he is. For me, that requires I've got to get outside. I, I, I need to be in nature and or I need to create something. Write a poem, write a song, paint something, do something. That's just, that's how God wires me. Spiritual disciplines work. Any of the spiritual disciplines, including coming to church and taking communion and baptism, if you've never been through that. There's just so many different cool symbols that God gives us. Whatever it is that you need to do this morning or this week that reminds you in a tangible way that God is God and that you are not. Would you write one thing down? Would you commit to doing that? 
because we have to be reminded by that. And it's easy when we make the time to actually acknowledge his presence. It's hard if we're just charging along doing our own thing. But when we say, God, I need you, I need to be aware of your presence, he reminds us. Second thing is this, he uh, restores us. So we had, he reminds us, now he restores us. We're heading to refines in a second. But would you say this out loud with me? God's presence restores us. How many here like to restore things? Cars, houses, works of art, anything you like to fix things, old, old dresses or whatever. Okay, some of you. Um, some of us just like to throw this stuff away and buy new stuff, right? It's a lot easier. But God loves to restore stuff. God sees the beauty in, in us. He sees his image that's gotten twisted and broken, but he wants to restore it. He longs for us to get back there. And his dreams for us only begin with forgiveness. They only begin with a new start. They only begin with um, a moment where we commit everything to him and we die to ourselves and we start to live to him. That's just the beginning of the story. Last couple of weeks, we've said it in, in this way. I hope it's memorable. It's, it's kind of the new once upon a time that starts a whole new story. It's not the happily ever after. But the amazing thing about God is this. He restores us by actually being present with us. He restores us by actually just like if you're working on a car or you're fixing a painting that got messed up or you're fixing an old dress or putting patches on some jeans or whatever it is that you're fixing and you're restoring. In the same way, God is intimately involved in trying to get us right again. God is right there. And in Isaiah, he says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is contrite and lowly of spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. In other words, God says, I I give you all these symbols about where I live. I live in the the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the tabernacle. I live up on high. I live in a high and separate, holy, beautiful, clean place. But you know where I also am? I am right there whenever anybody actually wants my help. I'm there. When you actually admit that you're wrong and that I'm right, I'm there. When you actually admit that you need forgiveness and you're asking me for it, I'm there. When you realize you need to change, I'm there. And I'm going to help you make those changes. Jesus talked about this uh, when Nicodemus came and talked to him in the middle of the night that one time. He just blew his mind. Because Nicodemus knew these images, he grew up, he probably knew them way better than any of us ever will. He knew all the intricacies. He could probably recite most of the first five books of the Bible, most of the Pharisees and Sadducees could. They they went hard. They went deep. But they didn't really get it. And so Jesus blows his mind when it says, Jesus answered him, "Truly, truly, 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 I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, almost every translation in English that I see 
uses that word again. And it's not a mistranslation, but once again, the original language is so much deeper. It's again in the sense, how, how many have ever rehearsed something like with a band or you're in a play, you're trying to do a scene and the person is directing go again. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or maybe you're in marching band or maybe you're in the band. Maybe, maybe you're running a play for football or some other sport. But somebody in, in control goes, again, or from the top. Have you heard that one? That literally in, in the original Greek, what Jesus says to Nicodemus is, you have to be born from above. And the, 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 he means from the top. You got to completely start over. And so especially because of the way that Nicodemus took it, it makes sense to use the English word again. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying there's something deeper. Are you hearing me on this? There's something bigger. Jesus says, you've got to start over from the beginning. You've got to like go. No, 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 no. From the top. But Nicodemus says, so how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be bold? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit. See those symbols again? He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. I think we all know that he's talking primarily here about the spirit of God. But that could also be translated, that, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of wind is wind. That which is born of energy is energy. That which is born of life is life. Are you, are you following me on this? Like he's saying, you got to start over with a whole new perspective, what actually makes you alive, what actually makes you, you, and what makes God, God, and his very, very actual presence in your life. He continues, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the wind, the energy, the spirit. The essence of God, just like wind out there is invisible, but tangible. You can see what he's doing if you're paying attention. You can build a windmill. You can't make the wind turn it. The wind does its own thing, right? And, and, and that's how it works. Jesus is saying, if you want to start over, you got to start over. And again, throughout the Old Testament, we'd seen this over and over where it says, so-and-so, the spirit of God came upon them. They're not even always good people. We talked about Balaam just a few weeks ago. Wasn't really a prophet of God. Wasn't really somebody who was known for being upstanding and good and honest and kind. But the spirit of God came on him and amazing stuff happened. And his, God's people got blessed. And we even got a message about the coming Messiah from this guy. Samson was not a good dude. Man, when I was a kid, that was my favorite Bible character. I, I, I really struggled because like... He was so strong. So oh, he had long hair. Like I was into Samson. The older I got, the more I understood the story. The more I was like, man, that guy's a loser. I don't want to be anything like him at all. And yet the spirit of God would come upon Samson. And that's where the power came from. And this idea, yeah, remember Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones? We still don't know 100%. Nobody really knows if that's a literal thing. Suddenly this army came back to life or it was a vision. It's kind of a confusing spot there. But the image is unmistakable. Here's 
a, not just dead, but we're talking dead, dead. You know what I'm saying? We're talking rusted old armor and bones. There's nothing left. And yet when the spirit of God comes, life happens. Everything reconnects. Muscles reform, tendons reform, the blood starts pumping again. And then the spirit of God actually breathes actual life in and suddenly you have a walking, talking, moving army of living people. And throughout the Old Testament and then the New Testament, but this is kind of at the beginning of the New Testament where we are, Jesus talking to to Nicodemus, you see these ideas and you see this idea of transformation by the Spirit of God. Isaiah again. He's talking about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. Notice what God's presence gives us. When the Spirit of the Lord shows up, we get these things from God's perspective because he's the spirit of God. He's sometimes called the Holy Spirit, sometimes called the spirit of Christ, sometimes just the spirit. And then all of these others, these other spirit of this, spirit of that. When God's spirit, God's life, God's very presence shows up in us, this stuff happens. The first person it happens to primarily and in an infinite way that we can never approach, it was Jesus. So one more time, it says that when the Messiah comes, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his his ears hear. Remember how many times Jesus would say, Whoever has ears to hear or eyes to see, that's what he's talking about. Whoever's open to God's presence actually doing something inside of you right now, you're willing to actually respond to the presence of God in a tangible way. You need to do this. That's what Jesus is saying. If you've got eyes to see, that means you're you're seeing things from a new perspective And you're really getting it and you're going to act differently. Just like if I see that there's stairs right here and I compensate by actually bending my knees. Are you following me? Or I see that there's this, this is still out and I compensate. I see something, so I do something. If you hear, you have ears to hear, you don't just, you're not just able to hear sound. You listen, you pay attention, you do something. Because the presence of God is doing something in you and you're responding to that in a tangible way. We see this in the day of Pentecost and suddenly everything is transformed because instead of one person at a time, even one person at a time being Jesus himself, the spirit of God coming on them and giving them power, giving them extra insight, giving them whatever else they needed. Now it's available to everybody, everybody who follows Jesus all at once. That was the amazing miracle that happened that day. All of us at once can have an ongoing connection with God. All of us at once can have God's spirit moving inside of us and changing how we see and how we hear everything and giving us the power to respond. 
On that day, Peter actually quotes the prophet Joel from the Old Testament. He says, and it shall come, he says, today you're seeing what Joel was talking about. Here's what Joel said. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Again, God's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And then he did. Everybody gets access to the spirit of God if they come on God's terms. They come through the blood. They come through the water. They submit to the spirit. And on the other side of that, we can actually follow God's ways. Is it starting to really make sense now? Is this, uh, not that you've never heard this before, but sometimes when I'm reminded of the beauty, I just see it again. It's like seeing a whole nother picture again or seeing a picture of one of my kids back when they were little and like, oh my gosh, you just remember who they are. You, you think about who they are right now and you look back and they, they were already that person. That, that, that quality I love about them as an adult was already in them that day. Oh my goodness, I never realized that. You get fresh eyes, you get it better. At the very least, I hope that's happening this morning. Well, let's go through a couple more scriptures, a couple more ideas before we wrap up today. First Corinthians chapter two, Paul writes, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person who's in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us from God. I'm going to grab these things one more time. Keep reading. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Bottom line, here, here's the thing. The things taught by the Spirit don't fit in this. If me or anybody else teaches you something about God and it easily, neatly fits in this little box, I haven't told you the whole picture somehow. I failed. If I can hand this to you and say, it goes here. This is where it starts overflowing. Keep following this the rest of your life. Tell me what else you figure out that I haven't figured out. That's what needs to happen. Because spiritual understands spiritual. Flesh does not understand spiritual. Jesus transforms us. He says, it doesn't work this way. I'm going to give you this instead. Now you got a chance. I don't know what it is for you, but the second thing I'd love for you to actually write down is, what is it that lets you, what is it that helps you really get it or remember again? That God is so much bigger than you that you have to submit to that. That no matter how quote unquote spiritual of a person you are, that you have to have the spirit of God if there's going to be real counsel and real wisdom and real power and real change. What is it that reminds you of that? Is it just Bible study? Is it listening to worship music? Is it singing in the car? Is it taking a walk in, in nature? Is it journaling? Is it fellowshipping? Is it all of the above? I don't know what it is, but you need to figure out something this week, maybe today, where you're going to actually let God do that in you again. Can you do that? Can you write down one thing? 
Here's one more. God's presence refines us. See, there's two more words here. They're holy places. In in the New Testament, the tabernacle or the temple is us. It's us. We are the movable portal to heaven. We are the movable, walking, talking people who represent God's presence on earth. We actually have the presence of God in us. Not that he's not everywhere. Not that there's anywhere you can't go where you're not before God in one sense or another. But whether we're doing a good job or a bad job, all of us Christians, we are the tabernacle. We are the sanctuary. If you've seen a building like this, where it's getting used literally every day to serve God and serve the community, that's exciting. When you see a building, maybe even more beautiful or bigger or whatever else than this one, but it just gets abandoned because it's not a church anymore. It's heartbreaking, right? Same building, same kind of idea, except you're losing something super powerful. There's no spirit in there. There's no, no change. It's not a holy place anymore. It's just a building. But you know what? You and I are the walking, talking, holy places of God. We're either full of the Spirit or we're acting like we're not. Dr. Tony Evans says, the reason so many Christians are struggling with spiritual discipline is because they're doing a program rather than pursuing a person. At the end of the day, if we really want to follow God's moral boundaries, we want to live God's way, we want to accomplish his will on the earth, we've got to realize that it comes down to us actually connecting with him and his actual presence within us. We come to him on his terms, his way, through the blood, through the water, through the spirit. We fall at his feet right there in his presence and all of that somehow swirls around and we get to start changing for real. Paul writes, and God God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are the members of Christ? I'm going to skip a big portion here, not because it's not important, because it is. And we don't have time to dig into it right now. We'll come back to it soon. But he continues here with this same image. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Brothers and sisters, I I, I just want to remind you one more time. We love to separate the physical and spiritual, and we love to say, I'm a really spiritual person because I like to feel this or feel that or think about this. But over and over and over, especially in the New Testament, but all through the Old Testament as well, when people are moved by the Spirit of God, they do stuff differently. Their life changes. They don't just think differently or feel differently. They change. Something happens. They don't just understand it better or get some really great advice for the first time. They actually take it and they actually do something about it. And something they're empowered to actually do it in a way that actually can change their lives. This is the dream. It's not just the blood and the water. It's the spirit of God himself. Romans, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, please tell me this looks really familiar to every single one of you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your, say it with me, bodies 
as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And when he says good and acceptable, perfect, he's not saying what I think is good or acceptable, perfect. What you think, what somebody on Facebook or Twitter, wherever else thinks, what somebody thinks on the news, is what who thinks is good and acceptable and perfect. And how in the world can we possibly know that? From God himself. So what helps you connect with God? What helps you connect and really get something out of his word when you study it? Is it just getting really, really alone for extended periods of time? Is it listening to it while you're driving? Is it, is it just taking one verse at a time every day and journaling or drawing pictures about it? Is it talking to people? I don't know what it is, but you, you need to figure out one more thing to write down here this morning. And that is, what is it that helps God's presence in you refine you? to actually make those changes, to actually shift something, fix something, heal something. We're all a little bit different. God made us white. That's one of the beautiful things about how God rolls. He, he makes us all a little bit different. But whatever works for you, I'd love for you to do that today. Make some time this week. Lord, I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna serve somehow. And one, one more quote from Dr. Tony Evans. He says, discipleship is a process, not an event. Thus, it demands spiritual growth. Let me read that one more time. Discipleship is a process, not an event. Thus, it demands spiritual growth. I think I've made it as clear as I can, so I'm not going to go back through it over the next couple of weeks. If you miss those other messages about blood and water, maybe go back or listen to somebody else give their best shot. I try to make it as clear as possible. But let me just say one more time that God's dream about the sacrifice of blood, Old and New Testament, especially focused in Jesus, God's dream of water and the cleansing, the symbolism that's in that, that ends up being the baptism of the New Testament. All of that, again, is one more time. It's the beginning. It's, a, it's, it's, it's God's way of saying, again, from the top, let's start over. And you can. But the real power, what really is going to make everything that we're going to explore in the next three weeks possible is his presence in you. That's why Peter said on the day of Pentecost, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's actually going to move in you personally. Whatever you need to do to respond to that this morning, that's what I'm inviting you to do as we stand, as we sing to him. If you got a big public decision, come up here. If you want to keep something private, come back there. But let's all respond to God together this morning.